The Guardian. No country for young people. Is that what Britain has become? In this Focus podcast, with me, Tracy McVeigh, Chief Reporter for The Observer, we'll put the spotlight on a generation. Young people in Britain face a radically different country from the one in which their parents grew up. Public services, affordable housing and jobs look to be in short supply. And education has been hit by the rise in tuition fees and the scrapping of the education maintenance allowance. Their parents, plus bankers and politicians, stand accused of bequeathing an economic and environmental mess. So is the next generation paying for the sins of the fathers? The Observer has brought together six young people to discuss whether or not they feel they are a generation under strain. We have Ben Howlett, the National Chairman of Conservative Future from Essex, Tamina Bax, history student at Queen Mary's University in South East London and a member of the Stop the War Coalition. Amy Mount from Sheffield, um, a member of the UK Youth Climate Coalition. Gary Watt, a volunteer with the youth charity Young Minds from Lincoln. Franklin Vergica from London, who's been long-term unemployed but who's now starting a film course thanks to New Deal. And Shane Chowan, the Vice President for Further Education at the National Union of Students from Plymouth. Welcome to you all. Um, We're going to start with Shane. Uh, Shane, can I just ask you, do you feel that young people are emerging into a far more hostile and unfriendly world than they might perhaps have expected? Yeah, I think we are. Um, No one tells you when you're growing up that you're going to be growing up in a massive financial crisis. No one told you that the chances are you're going to have to work for longer than any generation before you. No one told you you're going to have to pay more for your education than any generation before you. And it strikes me that this generation is certainly a generation under strain. You just have to look at the kind of uh, uh, recent goings on to show that young people themselves are now fully aware of the kind of uh, prospects open to them for their futures. And uh, young people are turning around and saying, you know, this it just isn't good enough. Um, it's really unfair for us that you're you know kind of punishing us in a sense for a crisis that we didn't cause you know why should we have to pay for pay with our futures almost for uh, a financial crisis caused by you know political and financial mismanagement Gary Watts what what do you feel about that I can relate to a lot of a lot of what you're saying and also when growing up no one kind of tells you that what life really is going to be like it's always constantly exams and then stress, more stress, coursework. And by the time, I mean, for me personally, by the time I reached the age of 18, I'd virtually burnt out from all of the uh, pressure that we're all put on. And most of the pressure is kind of to get a job, uh, to have a house, mortgage, car, kids, things like that. And really, there's no point in your life, at least from what I've been through and what I've seen where someone actually says no you don't have to live like that you can live uh you can live a more relaxed life and you can live a life that you don't have to be earning millions of pounds to live a happy life basically Amy 
Yeah, I was going to talk about uh, the world itself um, because, I'm, I mean, I'm from the UK Youth Climate Coalition and we're very concerned that as a generation, the world we grow up in is going to be radically different from the one hundreds of generations before us have had. You know, civilization has developed in, in a world whose climate has been fairly stable for the past 10,000 years and we're now putting all these greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and causing these unprecedented um, effects to take place, things like more incidents of extreme events which are going to affect young people in the UK but also particularly in more developing countries which obviously we're concerned about as well and uh, rising sea levels and you know forest fires, looking at the flooding in Australia, these sorts of things we can probably expect more of. And so it's it's politically we need to decide how best to manage with this changing world and how best to reduce the scale of the impacts so that we can create a world that is is much healthier and a nice place to live in. Yeah, I think Amy made a good point on the environmental uh, side of things. But as for the like future of the kids, mainly the urban kids, I would say, uh, looks very uh, bleak. They're living in very uncertain times not even sure to really get the the little scraps that the uh, government do give them they're not even sure to uh receive that and i like to add on further that uh the tough economic times have led i think it's going to lead to a higher rate in crime for this year we're going to see a lot of increases in crime due to the fact a lot of kids even the ones that are in uni they're coming out there's no jobs for them, have a lot of qualified kids who are coming out with no jobs. So I think it looks bleak. But on the flip side, I see that we're going to see a lot, a lot more young entrepreneurs coming out of this. Because their backs against the wall and they have no other choice but to hustle and get out there and do what's best for the nation. Thanks, Franklin. Mm. Ben, would you like to come in? I mean, let maybe sort of slightly refine the question. Do you feel more pessimistic about the future than perhaps you did when you were 18? When I was 18, I think we need to look at the situation in a wider context even further than that. If you ask a question to my parents, my parents never had the opportunity to go to university back in the 1970s. They came from sort of like shopkeeper families. My grandfather, he came from a, a lorry background and he was a hauliat, you know. They have worked really hard over their lives to give their children, me and my brother, something more. And I think there is a not a glass half empty approach here for the next 10 years, but a glass half full. And that, yes, there's going to be some difficult situations over the next couple of years, but let's look five years down the line. I mean, I'm talking about the 19, uh, 30 years ago when my parents were trying to get to university. And um, now let's look just only five years ahead, what can we introduce? We can introduce um, a better economy so that more people can go off to university. We can increase um, the opportunities for younger people to get into business. Um, you know, there are people on estates that we're trying to get out of those estates to give them more opportunities which are going to be available to them in the next couple of years. But we've got to make some really harsh difficult decisions now because of the mess that the last 13 years of labour has introduced that we can get people back onto the level pegging <clears throat> and the road to recovery and hopefully hopefully helping out younger people get in more access to better things in the future. Tamina, how do you feel about that? Do you feel more or less pessimistic than you might have done? Yeah, I would have to completely ago? disagree with what um, Ben's saying. Um, I think we're living in tough economic times but 
cutting the services that people need most is certainly not going to help the economy recover and it's not going to help the people who are most vulnerable, people who need free education. And um, I don't understand how increasing tuition fees is going to encourage more people to go to university because if you, if you look at what most young people from poorer backgrounds are saying, they're saying it's not worth it to go to university and my sister is going to start university when these tuition fees come in and she just, it's not worth it to go to pay £9,000 a year I've had the opportunity even though it was three grand a year I don't think we should pay anything for university but it's going to affect poor people living in as Franklin was saying urban areas people living in inner city London areas where parents do work hard it's not a matter of being lazy it's not a matter of being benefit scroungers it's a matter of um, the services being cut from people who need them most and I think it feels like an attack on young people constantly. Um, you know, young people are seen as lazy. Even when the students are seen as lazy, people scrounging off the government. People in college getting EMA. Young people are always seen as jobs. But I think young people nowadays have it harder than most people because we have to go to university. It's not an option. It's a career option. It's not something um, that our parents had. Or, you know, I might like to do this subject. It's a necessity to get a good job. Um, you need qualifications. And in you know, an atmosphere where there's hardly any jobs going on at the moment, we are having it harder than our parents' generation. Does that? I mean, what can young people do about it? And I might just stick with you to me actually, if you don't mind. I mean, you've seen, we've seen in the last month or so, we've seen the rise of UK Uncut. We, we've seen the the tuition fees demonstrations. We've seen the rise in a lot of people becoming politicised, taking direct action. Is that is that the way forward? Is that what you'd like to see more young people doing? Yeah, I think that's the only way forward because these decisions that are being made are being made by politicians. And in a democracy, the only way you can challenge it is by going out there and protesting. And that's what young people need to do. We need to carry on doing that to democratically challenge um, policies that seem undemocratic to people. Ben, would you like to add to that? Yeah, coming back on to the um, going out there and protesting side of things, obviously there has been a larger number of protests at the moment that have been going across the country. Yeah, okay, people can protest. That's their legitimate um, democratic right to do so. I don't necessarily think it's the best way of achieving one's goal. If you look at different pressure groups, there are those that are insiders, those that have the ear of government, then you've got the outsiders. Now, the difficult thing is if you're going out and protesting on the streets, does that make a difference to those that are making the decisions themselves. I don't necessarily think it does. I think those people that have got some influence are those that have got an opportunity to um, speak to their MPs, really sort of lobby within the tent, not outside the tent. Um, the difficulty is with the violence that happened, and I completely condone that violence, is that the cause or the message that was produced by the NUS or they were trying to get across was unfortunately taken over by those that are radicalised, those <coughs> that weren't necessarily students, um, and that was a very small minority. And that has somewhat distracted the message away from what they were trying to get across. You know, the headlines the next day wasn't that fees have gone up, but Camilla and Charles's car was attacked. Now, does direct action actually work? I don't necessarily think it does. I think it's important to look at the the wider context within which these reactions are taking place. And I think many young people who I've spoken to, um, you know, my friends and my friends at uni and my friends at school, feel like they're not part of the political process at all. And it's quite a disempowering situation to be in. And it's it's never very clear how young people are listened to and how, how young people 
can get engaged with with policymakers. I mean, the people sitting in the cabinet around the table, they're not really people we can identify ourselves with. They're very successful, usually, well, at the moment, particularly very wealthy, mainly male, like white guys. Um, there's a lot of people in Britain who who aren't that, and and they don't feel they're people they can connect with. Um, I think. So I I mean I I think saying that that protesting in the streets isn't going to help isn't quite the point. It's like it's it's all we've got left in in a way. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of engagement that I've been involved with um, around climate change um, that is a different way and that I've sort of like actively sought out and the UK Youth Climate Coalition has, has gradually become more recognised and so we sit on the Youth Advisory Panel for the Department of Energy and Climate Change and we've written a report about what we think uh, the energy system in the UK should look like in 2050. Now whether that report um, is just an exercise in PR for the for, for DEC or whether they're actually going to take it on and listen to our recommendations is another issue and I think it's questions like that which are going to show whether the government really is serious about listening to young people or whether they just like us to decorate um, their policies. Franklin, do you feel listened to? Not really and again, uh, talking about uh, protesting, I don't really think protesting really works or going down to sit and talk with your MP like I'm a bit of a realist I believe in like really going there and really shaking the 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 the, the, the foundations of power you know like as history always repeats itself every time we have a conservative government there's always uprest some type of uh woo-ha and I remember uh Tracy when I came here to do my placement and you asked me, would I, who, who, who would I be voting for? And I said, ah, oh, Tracy, I don't really believe in politics. And you looked flabbergasted like, oh, Franklin, people have died so you could vote. Like, I don't really believe in politicians. They're, they're just nice guys in suits telling a nice story. And whoever, whoever tells the best story that you agree with, that's who you vote for. But most of the time, they say one thing and a... Another thing gets done, so I believe in real radical radical change. If we want change, like we have to really overthrow this government that's in charge. I don't want to sound too radical, like I'm abdicating uh, violence, but that's what really brings change for me, anyway. Okay, Gary. It was interesting when you were saying about uh, uh, energy would better be spent. Well, I think you said anyway, getting involved in the political process, because the guy who's now the MP of Lincoln, Tory MP, um, he ended up sending me pretty arrogant emails from, well, in my opinion, arrogant, where he was telling me if I don't like what he's standing for, then I should get into politics for myself. Now, to be fair, at least he was honest. At least he doesn't like certain other politicians saying, you know, we're not going to scrap certain, we are going to scrap certain things and putting them up. I won't mention any names here but um i did and i did actually help at the time the lib dems and i absolutely regret that decision now because everything i thought they were standing for they're not and at the moment i mean i was at the student (coughs) protest and that bit of direct action even though it didn't end up with tuition fees going down or anything like that i did feel like i was actually part of a movement and you are right it was a huge minor a small minority of people that 
were causing the violence. Because when people were picking stuff up to attack, most of the crowd was turning around and saying, Oi, what the hell do you think you're doing? Stop it. That kind of thing. But I don't think direct action's the only answer. I think you do need a political answer, direct action, and other ways of doing things, like writing letters to MPs and stuff. But I guess my view is you can't just get rid... You can't say direct action's bad because of the violence, basically. So, Shane, how do you, is the future in direct action? There, there, there absolutely is. And uh, just to tie some of these points together, I think the point that um, both... Uh, I think the point, the point that Franklin made very well was that you know um, that politicians don't come across, uh, and Amy made the point as well about the relatability, I suppose, of politicians. And you know the Liberal Democrats, as Gary mentioned, had a real opportunity here to prove the worth, I suppose, of elected politicians to young people because they paraded themselves around schools, colleges and universities saying that they will abolish tuition fees. And so, and, and a lot of MPs are where they are today because of the student vote. Uh, they got their jobs because of students, um, which is why you saw 52,000 students and lecturers come to London on the 10th of November for the first big demo um, against uh, education cuts and tuition fees because they were so angry at being totally disempowered and disengaged from the political agenda altogether. And I don't, I, I don't think that the Liberal Democrats have any idea how much damage they've actually done, not just in putting up tuition fees, but actually the disengaging young people from politics altogether. I think, in my opinion, that you can't do anything worse than that as a politician, and they will pay for it at the next general election. OK, thank you. So um, I'm going to go now sort of go around the table and ask people what, in, in view of all this change, in view of all the... the um, upsets that we're that we've been talking about in society for this generation what are the most important things that each individual sees for their adult life um, I mean for your parents it may well have been a house stability a career are those the things that are important to you now is it family is it career is it or simply looking for that kind of elusive happiness and contentment um, so Tamina what, what would you be looking for to think well I've had a successful life what do you what would make it successful for you for me, a successful would be having a family, having a stable family, um, a house, um, a good career. But also for me, something that's really important is um, for our government to withdraw from um, Afghanistan. And that, that, that for me is something really, really big. Um, the war in Afghanistan is absolutely terrible. The, the, the damage it's done to Afghans and to Afghan civilians is just... Um, it's, de- it's so detrimental to the to the country, and that's for, for me. That's the biggest thing for our country to stop invading countries. That's that's what it is for me. Okay, Amy. Um, so the world I want to live in is one where it's possible for each human being to to flourish and to to live like a good life, and so without constraints put on that, like in, environmental disasters causing food shortages, like we've seen this week or or being invaded or you know all these massive things like massive political decisions that that politicians are making today and that are shaping our lives and and I think for for that sort of world to be created where 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 we're thinking forward and we're not just thinking short term and I think that's one of the problems with with politics today is it's short short term is nature there's some really interesting examples around the world of things like Hungary have a have a commissioner for future generations whose job it is is to scrutinize policy on behalf of future generations and that's the sort of thinking we need to embed like institutionally 
I think the the world I want to live in, yeah, where where I can do meaningful work that isn't detrimental to the environment, that isn't detrimental to other human beings, um, where everybody around me is is living together like in harmony. I mean, I don't think these sort of ambitions are, have changed for generations. I think we have similar hopes to the hopes our parents had. Um, we're just in different contexts and maybe different battles to fight. But and I think that knowledge that that sort of those core ideals of humanity are, are the are things that are going to take us there and, and help us to, to fight these battles and, and really create that clean and healthy and fairer future. <laughs> OK, Ben, so, so what, what are the most important things for you personally for an adult life? What, what will you be looking for? Well, I graduated two years ago now. I, um, slightly different to people around the table. A lot of you are students. Um, so... About two years ago, I was really hoping to get into a successful job, build a career. Slightly difficult times when I graduated. There weren't that many jobs out there. The recession was starting to hit. Um, who's that to blame for? <laughs> well, you know, George being the politician at the table, you know, you, ultimately I think it was the um, 13 years of Labour. But what do I really want to see over the next 20 years? I really want to see um, more and more people <laughs> owning their own properties. I really want to see um, living standards improved. I want to see more people being empowered to do what they want to do, not being told by the state what to do. I want to see a, uh, this bottom-up society whereby everybody gets to have, have a say in their democratic process. I want to see um, more people own, um, uh, more people uh, using renewable energy. I want to see um, gay marriage to be introduced or gay equality being introduced. Um, there's a lot of progressive things which I want to see introduced, which I'm lobbying hard in terms of the Conservative Party. And I think there's a massive shift that's happened over the last, uh, well, since David Cameron was elected as leader. And we're shifting more to the sort of mainstream middle ground, which ultimately most people are actually wanting. Um, and I agree with that, and that's why I'm a Conservative at the end of the day. OK, Franklin, what's, what's the most important things for you in your adult life? Well, basically, I, I come from the what you would call like the have-nots. So I'd like to see like the, the class system, like everyone get, get a bit closer. If you make your money, you make your money, fair enough, but I'd like to, you know, see it come and... What uh, Amy touched on, like Amy sounded like we are the world, we are the children, all of that world peace on earth. And yeah, but when I heard these astronomical sums of money, the bailout, 100 billion, this billion, that I think, right, we could all, you could feed the whole world with these billions. But I don't know, the money, it comes and it's channeled through the various channels and we don't really see where it goes but yeah just for everyone to have like there should be no starving children anywhere on the planet earth with the billions that are just splashed about so yeah everyone should just have a piece of the pie or the dream or yeah that's about it well, I agree with everything you said for a start. But also, just for the record, I'm not a student, just so people know. And, um, well, it kind of comes back to what I was saying in the beginning, that for me, my ambitions as a child going into teenagerhood and all that kind of stuff was, you know, to be rich and famous, to be in a rock band. I think that was the big thing. But then I think everyone has that. But I found this constant pursuit kind of to have a job that is well paid and stuff like that just 
increase this kind of unhappiness i think a lot of people are kind of feeling this pursuit for wealth is well it isn't beneficial i mean the new economics foundation came out of a report that i found quite interesting where when you're earning up to about 15 or twenty thousand pounds it your happiness kind of directly correlates with your income but after that it kind of doesn't really rise that much and when i started feeling like i had a purpose in life and things like that was when i did work like with young minds doing their well i'm one of their on their panel representing young people who have had mental health problems and stuff including myself and um since i've changed my focus from helping myself to helping other people I've felt like I'm actually part of something. The point Gary made, Shane, is a point that a few people have raised about being part of something. I mean, obviously the NUS is, 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 embodies that mm. kind of spirit for students. I mean, do you feel that being part of something is going to be very important for this generation, taking it forward? Are people going to have to really pull together here? We do, and it's already happening. And, um, you know, we've... we've you can say what you like about whether you agree as to the effectiveness of direct action and protests and things, but what it does do is it brings people together under a com- under a common cause. And you know, fifty two thousand students left London on the tenth of November, feeling you know empowered and um, feeling that like they were part of something, and that is going to be increasingly important moving forward. And it isn't just something for young people. I think all of society can learn from the student movement and what we've achieved and how we um, come together, you know, students are the most diverse groups within society and, you know, we come together and we, we, we get the job done and I think the rest of society can learn from um, what goes on in our colleges and universities and how we integrate together because, you know, just adding on from what everyone else said, like the kind of society I want to live in is one where everyone can walk down the street without fear of, you know, facing prejudice and discrimination because of because of who they are and, you know, without turning this into a party political broadcast <laughs> um, say what you like about the last 13 years but it was the previous government that introduced things like civil partnerships there are more people going to university now than there ever have been before more people going to college and not dropping out because of ema which was introduced under the under the previous government and you know there were things that have, have got they got wrong and you know we can that's not for now but um increasingly i think young people are proving that they are a resilient generation and we will fight our corner and ultimately, I think um, politicians will find in the next general election, and I think they'll find it even as soon as the Oldham by-election, actually, that uh, young people will hold their elected representatives to account. And I think then we'll finally get um, some uh, the respect, I think, from politicians that we deserve. So a resilient generation, but is there resentment there still? I mean, obviously, there's an awful lot of pressures in this generation that won't have been there before. You've got the whole kind of cyber world. You've got the whole kind of must-have technology with iPods and laptops and phones and MP3 players and the whole consumer pressure. Um, do we feel that this generation can move out of that? Is there a, is there a level of resentment with, with what your lot is, with what you've been saddled we could maybe just quickly ask everybody if anybody feels direct resentment to politicians, to their parents, 
to political parties who must. <laughs> um, you know, is the, do, do you feel there's a wee bit of a blame here? Do you feel slightly saddled with something that is not entirely of your making and therefore there's a bit of resentment there? Tamina? Um, what I think is interesting is when people... Our parents' generations, well, not my parents directly, but people that age and politicians um, just say, oh, young people nowadays, nowadays, you know, we used to track in the snow and it was this, you know, all that kind of thing. We never had iPods, we played the jigsaws. But it's actually their parents' generation who did this kind of thing to us, who bought us the iPods, bought us the laptops, um, tell us not to play outdoors, play on your PlayStation instead. It's not our fault that we've been saddled with this kind of thing. I mean, I personally, I didn't grow up with any of those gadgets. I had a pretty simple childhood. But um, I think to, to blame young people is very unfair. But in terms of the whole consumerism thing, I'm not sure how much resentment there is yet. Most people enjoy it. So, yeah. Amy? Come back to me in a minute. Gather a OK, Ben. <laughs> yeah, should we reject consumerism? It's an interesting point because you've got <clears throat> a, a, a massive consumer market out there now. If people want something, it's going to be created. You know, if somebody wants a slightly smaller iPod, then that's going to be created as a result. But I think there's a role for government to play in order to control consumer markets in some sense for example um you go off to your nearest supermarket and what do you find i, I hate it because i go to the gym a heck of a lot and i see the tempt of the chocolate bar aisle just by the tills and you're thinking oh should i pick that one up or should i not and in fact i don't think they should be there and i think there's a definite uh, just as a one example uh definite reason there for government to um uh, influence uh, these sort of consumer issues in the interests of wider um, public life really Okay. Franklin, do you resent anyone for creating the present situation that the country's in? Oh, uh, well, like, but everyone would like to point the finger at the politicians and the bankers. But I feel like uh, it's not only their fault, they're the majority of the, to blame, but people voted for them, people elected them. So <laughs> sometimes we have to look at ourselves and understand our own decisions and and yeah as 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 for the was it the facebook the the, the iphone generation the yeah. generation I, I i think that's all well and good like that's connecting people bringing people together people are sharing ideas and ideologies opinions so i think that is all good like that is only for the betterment for mankind womankind I don't. I really don't know where to start because I'm so angry with. Well, if we're going to talk about resentment, then I'm so angry with a lot of organisations, big and small, and everything. I mean, in terms of consumerism, when you were talking about that a few minutes ago, I think. I mean, I disagree with it, but I've also come to terms with the fact there isn't going to be a revolution in the next five years. Maybe there will be, and maybe. I mean, that would be great, but I don't think that's going to happen. So it's really. I guess, what can I do in life or what can I purchase or uh, how can I live that doesn't... I mean, you'll always have to take part in a consumer kind of situation. Even North Korea has some consumerism going on there. But um, I guess everyone's always trying to look out and say, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. And it's like what you were saying, um, everyone's always kind of looking out and blaming someone else. But actually maybe we should be looking in more. I mean, it's perfectly fair to blame the current government, the previous government. I blame just government generally. I mean, yeah, there's just a lot of anger. Um, yeah. Yes, um, Amy, thank yeah. you. Um, I think, 
I mean, there, there was a, a, a film produced a couple of years ago called The Age of Stupid, which Pete Postlethwaite, who's a really brilliant actor who died this week, was in. Um, and and the world that that film portrays is one in which we we, like, the people alive now, we know what's going on with this world. I mean, we're, it's a world full of universities and institutions of learning and, and people going out and finding things out. Science is amazing, the things it throws up. Um, we're so well equipped to deal with the issues facing us, whether it's climate change or geopolitical instability. These are, these are massive issues and we're not just going to solve them in the drop of a hat, but I think what we have to do is try. And um, I think... I, that's what would make me the most frustrated if we sat here and watched it all happen without trying and without getting together and, you know, acting as if we were, like, a community and a society um, with shared aims. And so, like, one of the things I think needs to happen is is a sort of, like, a, a mind shift in the way we think, partly. I mean when the advertising industry started to get going about 100 years ago, they, they all sat down together and worked out, how can, how can we make people think more individualistically and, and become more concerned about their status so they'll buy more products? And, like, this is what the advertising industry existed to, to get us to do. And we need to really, like, get a mind shift going and being like, hang on, this isn't what makes us happy. What makes us happy is being with the people we love and uh, living in a healthy environment and going out and playing footy or whatever. Um, and so we need to like we need to have a wider definition of what prosperity is, and and then work towards that. And um, resentment isn't really going to help that. Um, but we need to think really constructively about what we're trying to build. I think. Okay, and Shane, do you do resentment against anyone apart from Mr. Clegg? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of resentment. Well, like no, I, I'm not going to say I resent the previous generation because you know it wasn't it, was, it wasn't my parents fault that they can't afford to send me to university now but ultimately you know when you see things come up on the news every now and again about you know bankers still being paid you know six-figure bonuses when you walk around London and still see that there are people who are homeless and you still see people who are struggling with the the consequences of living in deprivation by people with mental health issues and people with drug issues um, and you can't you, you, you can't help but not have I think it's like generic resentment something has gone wrong in a society where people are just allowed to thrive and people are just allowed to fall by the wayside because to me that's not to me that's not on it's not fair and you know we heard, heard a lot of this rhetoric recently about you know freedom fairness and responsibility and the question mark afterwards has to be for who because it's not for the people who ultimately need it and need the extra help right now okay thank you very much thank you all very much and that's all we have time for uh, so thank you to ben tamina amy gary franklin and shane i'm tracy mcveigh and the producer was phil maynard and you can read more in the observer and at guardian.co.uk great downloads go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio